There are three big problems with used vehicle appraisals. One, manually sifting through comp vehicles. Two, old book values and ghost comps. Three, no recon visibility. You can solve them all with AutoVision, launching in the Reynolds & Reynolds booth at NADA. Learn more at reyrey.com slash used dash cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot -E com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to this Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive for the third week of January 2024. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today we're breaking down some of the biggest stories in the auto industry from the past week and looking forward to what's in store in the days ahead. In a few minutes, we'll hear from Automotive News reporter John Hutter about the results of our dealership salary survey and what it says about the state of compensation in auto retail. The pay is such a big reason why people got into the industry and you know, also a big reason why people will leave a job even more than the work-life balance issue if they're not making enough. But first, Jamie, welcome to the weekend. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm hanging in there, Kel, trying to get over the CES crud. Ah, well, we got some uh, interesting news that I think will help knock <laughs> some of that snot out. No, um, Elon <laughs> Musk said this week that he would be uncomfortable growing the automaker to lead in AI and robotics without at least 25% voting control, which would, I guess, now double his current stake. He went on to say that he wants enough stock to be influential, but not so much that he can't be overturned. So is he saying that he's currently not influential? What What's the play here, Jamie? Yeah, it's a little strange. You know, he has long advocated, you know, for the potential of AI, but he's especially been really one of the biggest people warning about the dangers of AI and letting it run amok and the damage that it could cause. He's invested a lot of his own money in a nonprofit to try to make sure that AI can advance without uh, becoming like a, you know, dystopian sci-fi movie. And then when it comes back to the stock thing, yeah, right. He clearly is still <laughs> influential <laughs> and really controls, you know, everything that happens at the company, but he's had to reduce his stake quite a bit in order to pay for the acquisition of Twitter, which he has, you know, since renamed X. Like I say, he's kind of got this love-hate relationship with AI and robotics. I think he definitely wants Tesla to get into it, you know, but if he can use some of this concern to get a new stock holding structure where maybe his shares vote double compared to everyone else's because, you know, he's the smartest guy, uh, then uh, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Ah, so he believes that he can be the one that can govern Skynet is what is what he's saying, right? Right on. Right, on. <laughs> right there we go. I, I know you like my Terminator reference. <laughs> um, Jamie, software-defined vehicles are all the craze and what we heard at CES. Uh, with software-defined vehicles becoming our future, will things like fixes and upgrades be just as simple as software upgrades and less hardware replacement? That's the idea. Over-the-air updates, again, back to Tesla and Elon Musk. You know, they've made a lot of improvements to their cars over the years by sending software. People don't even have to go to a dealership or a shop. They just 
park their car at night and then wake up the next morning and it's got some new software that runs better or adds a new feature. People really love it. And it's something as more automakers are able to try to do that, in theory, it should increase the value of vehicles over their lifetime. Uh, that's kind of one of the ideas that uh, Bill Pinnell from Qualcomm was talking about when he spoke with Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. If we take a step back, what do we really mean by software-defined vehicle? For me, it's what it says on the words, right? You define what you're going to do in the vehicle by software that you want to run in the vehicle in the future. This isn't just about startup production. This is something that you want to support for seven, ten years going forward. Bill is really smart. He's one of the folks who really, you know, makes this thing happen in the real world. Uh, another good explanation I got uh, when we were out at CES was from Nikolai Setzer at Continental. He says, uh, you know, use what you have in terms of hardware and make it smarter. And uh, that that kind of made sense for me. You can use, you know, less hardware and get the same achievement. That's what he was talking about with uh, a parking assist system they had that uh, wouldn't need as many sensors, could be cheaper and still get the job done. Ah, so it's almost like you pay more for the vehicle, but the longevity is going to be just light years ahead and it's going to last you a lot longer is what it sounds like. Last you longer and be worth more be worth more got you got you and finally i've been waiting to talk to you about this all week because we talked about this off air for a bit uh we talk about this a lot actually when it comes to auto shows but um the detroit auto show is moving back to january and it hasn't done this since what 2019 mm -hmm. i want to say and so in what yep. 2022 and 23 the show was in september do we have a 2021 show no there was uh covid they, uh, didn't right. have it partly because covid Yep. Right. So 22 and 23, the show is in September, which would make sense, but it's competing with so much in Detroit in the summertime. I mean, who wants to be inside? Right. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, what caught my eye was a quote you said this week on the radio uh, on your segment, Automotive View. And I love to read this because your quote gave me so much life, Jamie. And I quote, the Motor City can no longer attract international automakers to reveal new models, present their executives to the media, or otherwise treat the show like a top-notch global gathering. Wait for it. Because it isn't. Jamie. Now, is it corny for me to say that with those words, is this officially the end of an era? Oh, yeah, it really is. I mean, it, it was kind of the end of an era when it moved out of January the first time, stopped being the North American International Auto Show. You know, all the international automakers really stopped coming. You know, Toyota would still put up a stand, but they weren't doing reveals or holding a press conference. Now, I mean, at least what from what we're seeing, they're, they're not even scheduling a press day, which is fine. I mean, I think it's it's what the market needs at this point. Uh, Detroit needs stuff to do in January. The real value in auto shows when you don't have all the big automakers coming together to reveal vehicles and, and put their executives out is, is to let people, consumers, you know, see the cars, sit in them, touch them, see what they're really like. And, you know, the auto show can do that. They'll put the cars on carpet. It'll be, you know, like Louisville or Denver or any other news free show. And that's fine. I mean, Detroit's still a decent market and a lot of people here love cars and will want to come see them and maybe they can keep the cost down and it'll give a little uh, little business to the local hotels and, and restaurants in January when they're otherwise twiddling their thumbs between Lions games. So 
Does that mean that in the summertime that the battery show will now own the summer? From a business news event perspective, that could be about right. Uh, the battery show is moving from Novi down to uh, the big hall, formerly known as Kobo, uh, where the Detroit Auto Show has historically been held. That does seem like that's really become the industry show here in Detroit. So to make the battery show that show, will it take maybe auto reveals? Will we, if we start seeing reveals at the battery show, will that then say, okay, well, this is pretty much a swap spots officially with the Detroit Auto Show? You know, it's possible. I wouldn't expect that to happen just because I don't think they're structured for it. And I think part of the thing is that automakers don't want to spend all the money to build a stand and have a big elaborate production. One of the advantages of the battery show is, again, it keeps it simple. It's a pretty low cost, I think, per square foot compared to, you know, a big glitzy auto show. People can just get together. They can go around. They can see each other's technology. You can meet with people, but you don't have to spend millions of dollars on a big production. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting chat, Jamie. Uh, coming up, the results are in for our dealership salary survey. Our own John Hutter joins us to talk about them next on The Weekend Drive. Daily Drive is kicking off the new year by reviving an old name in a new format. We're bringing back a Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. Jamie and I will go deeper into the biggest automotive stories of the week. Every weekend, you'll hear fresh insights, analysis, and what has me running hot, if not overheated. To think that's going to get done in a year, a little over a year, is um, foolishly optimistic. That's, that's a little dark, but let's shift <laughs> to something a little more positive. You'll also hear from our experts in the newsroom here at Automotive News about the latest industry trends and topics. EV sales are not declining. That's the narrative we're kind of seeing outside of the industry. They aren't declining, but the pace of growth definitely has slowed. Come back this weekend for our Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. And of course, tune in every weekday for all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Data is the backbone of your used vehicle department. You need it to find accurate comp sets and to best understand your market in order to make precise appraisal and pricing decisions. But it feels like you're always struggling to get the information you need. How much time do you spend sifting through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? Do you frequently make manual adjustments to pricing recommendations? Reynolds' newest inventory management solution, AutoVision, can help. A.J. McGowan, president and founder of AutoVision, explains how. If you look at the way that cars are traditionally priced, you know, you can get down to specifics in terms of, you know, what zip code is it in and, you know, what options does it have on it? You know, some of those sorts of things. Um, but the thing that's never really taken into account um, is, you know, that dealer's, you know, specific view of the market. Our goal with AutoVision was to use, you know, technology that's available now to do real-time processing, which allows dealers to really set the their view of the market into AutoVision. And then we use our tools to analyze the data that's there and show them this is what this vehicle is worth to you. AutoVision can help you run your used vehicle department with precise comp sets, real-time inventory data, and reconditioning insights. Visit reyrey.com slash used dash cars to find out more. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Weekend Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. 
Last fall, Automotive News joined Automotive News Canada to field a salary survey of franchise dealership employees. We sought out people in positions ranging from dealer principals and general managers to service technicians and sales representatives and numerous other jobs across franchise stores. Now the results are in and here to talk about the biggest takeaways is our own John Hutter, who covers retail for us here at Automotive News. John Hutter, welcome to this weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. Hey, glad to be here. You've been hard at work poring over data from the inaugural U.S. dealership salary survey. One thing about this industry, it does pay well, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, the average was like, you know, more than double what the what kind of the average American makes. Um, so, yeah, big hour, big, big money, long hours. Long hours. Uh, what kind of hours are we talking about? Like, oh, more than 50 a week. So you've got to you've got to put in your time. <laughs> Yeah. We, I mean, we've talked to a lot of dealers about trying to have maybe slightly more manageable work hours or, um, you know, fewer days a week. But the, the culture of the industry has and the retail side has always been these long hours and uh, people working hard for the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the, um, you know, and you, you kind of can tell that with some of the, um, you know, the, some of the responses we got from the survey when we take the answers, people would kind of be like, well, you know, I have no work-life balance, <laughs> you know, I'm just spending too much time here. But, you know, at the same time, it's like the the pay is such a big reason for pe- why people got into the industry and, you know, also a big reason why people will leave a job even more than the work-life balance issue if they're not making enough. Yeah, there's nothing worse than uh, putting in long hours and not making enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of the people who responded to the survey or the the average, I think, um, they had some pretty long tenures. It seemed like uh, that might indicate that more of them are in senior positions and among some of the higher earners. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we found that, you know, by far it was managers that responded. Now, that could be down to like, a, not down to, but, you know, like a, a sales manager, you know, like a, a not necessarily like the CEO or something. But yeah, managers were like more than 80% of the pool we got. People had, you know, more than 25 years of experience on the job was, was our average tenure. I'm sorry, not on the job, but in the industry. Yeah. But then you're probably not talking about, uh, you know, porters who are putting in, right. uh, who, are, who are new and just driving cars around and uh, wiping them down nicely. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, we had, you know, porters could were certainly welcome to take the survey. I mean, I think I think a couple even might have. But um, yeah, it, on the whole, it's it's a much more it's a more senior group. Definitely skewing toward the, the manager types, sales managers, general managers and all that. Yeah. So what did we see in the gender breakdown? Was that an interesting uh, set of data? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we we found was that while both men and women make way more than the average American, men were making triple while the women were making double. So that was that was, you know, obviously very interesting to us. It's long been you know, very macho culture in the in the dealerships uh, seems like something that maybe is evolving a bit, but uh, maybe still has a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting because one of the things that was um, like the statistically significant differences between uh, men and women was their perception of the industry is, you know, unwelcoming to women. It was for men, it was something like, you know, around s- like six or seven percent and with women, it was over um, like 20. And so it's so kind of a difference in how, 
you know, the two genders kind of perceive the industry. Yeah, that's a that's a different ratio. Although I guess if 20% of women think that the industry is not as friendly to women as it should be, does that mean 80% are, are yeah. satisfied? I mean, that, that kind of seems good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that was, they definitely didn't check that option, uh, you know, as, as an issue. So yeah, it, it, you'd see also with, you know, like that we, when we ask people about their complaints about the industry or what were, because ne- we asked positives and negatives and, and you'd see people where they would say, well, you know, I have no doubt these things exist, but it's not at my place. I'm, you know, I've worked there, you know, I'm, you know, it, it goes both ways. It's a little like the, uh, the Congress thing, right? Uh, right? Everyone hates Congress except for my congressman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, back to the, the hours thing, you would see people where also they welcomed it. It was just kind of like, no, this is my, like, especially last year, they, uh, we had one comment where it was like, I'm never going to see money like that again. So I just lived at the dealership. Because of the, the shortage of vehicles and the high margins coming out during COVID? Right, exactly. Like 2022 was just, uh, the. I mean, people still made a ton of money in 23, but 22 was even higher because of the inventory issue and the margins. Yeah, there was um, a really unusual time for the industry. It'll be interesting to see over the next two or three years how the survey results come back. Yeah, oh, exactly. Uh, any other key observations or takeaways for you from the from this survey? What struck me was how many people, again, like, Great industry, great pay, a lot of, you know, a lot of praise for it. But at the same time, you had, um, you know, you had two thirds of the people were either had either like accept or not accepted, but they'd found another job or they were looking for one. And there definitely seemed to be this sentiment of like, I'm making great money, but boy, I kind of hate my life a little bit, you know, and, and, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's interesting just to see that. But again, like, Plenty of people, you know, had positive things to say about the industry. Um, more than a thousand people responded, so it's not a, uh, you know, it's not comprehensive, but it's a, it's a pretty st- statistically significant group. Oh yeah, yeah, great numbers, great response. So thanks to everybody who <laughs> did that. Yeah, well, it's definitely an issue that the um, that that we see auto dealers grappling with. You know, wanting to make sure that that they pay enough to keep the best people and keep them competitive, but also trying to make sure that their lives are sustainable and livable because so that they can have a family and enjoy it and not have uh, their kids resent them. Even if they're driving a nice uh, new car, if they right. don't feel like they have a connection with their parent, cause they're always at work, uh, you know, making the money. Right. Well, and that was, you know, the other thing with the money, just people getting into it for the money, like they're dead. Right. That was the other thing that kind of struck me because we were able to pull, um, you know, education level and like tenure in the, you know, and you could be just starting out and make six figures. You could have a high school degree and make six figures. So it's also a great business to be in, in that regard. Not a lot of places offer that kind of opportunity. Right. Exactly. John Hutter is a reporter on the retail team here at Automotive News. John, thanks so much for joining me on Weekend Drive. Hey, thank you. That's all for this Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, car shows, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for an interview with Nissan CEO Makoto Uchida. Uh, For me, we cannot only make one plan. We should anticipate a couple scenarios. And if A comes, how are we going to react? If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.